Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Laura Evans, and you are listening to Hope for the Hurting. We want to provide hope and help to those who are hurting, lost, and in despair. My background is in broadcasting and radio, and I'm joined by my dad, Dr. Irv Wolf, who, in addition to being a pastor for over 30 years, has a background in marriage and family therapy. Dr. Irv has authored two books, and he's the director of Hopewell Counseling in Minnesota, where he and my mom counsel individuals and couples. And today we are talking about a very interesting topic, (laughs) which I can very much relate to, especially today. The topic is the whack-a-mole life, living from crisis to crisis. And I will tell you, dad, (laughs) I have had a -a whack-a-mole day (laughs) already. (laughs) Get up, get to church, run home. I had just enough time to hit the grocery store, get a few supplies at Walmart, come home, make Micah lunch, and then get online to prep for our, our podcast. And I was not prepared for the explosion that happened in my kitchen. Turned on the wrong burner. Long story short, my glass pie pan that I used to make cinnamon rolls this morning exploded and there was glass everywhere. So I, of course I had to take care of that first before I could prepare for you. And it was just like, ah. So so, yeah, so I can relate to this whack-a-mole living. Yes, welcome to the whack-a-mole life. Uh, It's... (laughs) It is, um, yeah, it's it's taken from that game. Maybe my title is a little uh, confusing to some people, but if you've ever been to Chuck E. Cheese or oh, yeah. maybe you've been to Dave & Buster's, uh, they have uh, a whack-a-mole machine. Yes. And the whack-a-mole machine is on a timer. Kids love and it. it. And you and, and these, these moles keep popping up from yep. their little holes mm-hmm. and you've got a mallet and the idea is to whack them as many as, has come up and you get points. and it's and you get points <laughs> and then after a certain amount of time it just stops it quits uh but there's a lot of people that it just struck me when i went to chuck e cheese one time was playing the whack-a-mole game that a lot of people live a whack-a-mole life yes absolutely uh, they're, they're going they're going from crisis to crisis to crisis and it's almost like they thrive on having a crisis in their life yeah, and, and, but that's the thing, though. Since we hit 2020, since COVID hit, I feel like how do we live any other way? Like it's constant. Like just when you're kind of getting used to wearing a mask and quarantining, then bam, there's riots. Then bam, there's fire in California. Then bam, we've got these nasty debates. How do we not live a whack-a-mole life, especially in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, we are <laughs> all of us seemingly in a whack-a-mole life right now. We're, we're in crisis mode. Yeah, if it's not COVID-19, it's, you know, even our president now, he and, and his first lady, Melania, have come down with COVID-19, right. you know, kind of as a, a sidebar. Uh, I don't think that's such a terrible thing no. on a couple of levels. For yes. one thing, it gives him a chance to regroup, recuperate, rest up. He's been in a frantic pace. I was thinking that exact same thing. I yes. mean, it, this this takes him out of commission for a little while and a chance to recharge his batteries yes. for the final push. The other thing is it makes him seem very human. Right. Have you seen, I mean, I know this is not completely on topic, but it sort of is, the, the prayer gatherings outside Walter Reed yes. Medical Center and across the nation, I think this is unifying our country like nothing else could. It's pulling yeah. believers together. Those that were on the fence are deciding, you know what? He's one of us. He's human. 
it took him, it could take him down just like it could take me down. And yep. when he comes through this and I, I, I know that he will, and I'm praying that he will, and he's already made the doctors can't even explain the kind of a rebound he made from Friday night where he was, he had a high fever and he was not doing good. His oxygen levels were dropping dramatically and he made a dramatic recovery between Friday night and this morning. And so I think he's going to pull through, but he's going to be able to speak to it from a place of experience yes, and not just hypothesis. Yep. And I think it's interesting that uh, when John Hinckley shot uh, President Reagan and, and wounded him, at that point, people said, wow, he's human. He's vulnerable. He's, right. you're right, he's one of us. I think this will humanize uh, President Trump like hardly anything else. Back to crises <laughs> and the whack-a-mole. I mean, if anybody's living a -a whack-a-mole life, it's President Trump, right? Yes, yes. He is bouncing from crisis to crisis to crisis. And that's kind of the nature of his job. Yeah, he he is putting out fires. He's he's the ultimate fireman. He's putting out fires constantly. So how do we as normal citizens of the United States, we're, it's not our, it's not in our job description to run the country and take on all these problems. How do we just manage day to day without being crabby at our spouse and our kids? I I think one of the things is uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, Focus on the eternal things, not, not the circumstances around you or the crises around you. And it really is a test of faith, the chance to live by faith in the God whom we say we believe in and to be able to trust him. Because think about it. God never has a crisis. Never. You're right. He, he knows everything. He's omniscient and he's omnipotent. Nothing ever catches him off guard. God never says, whoops, didn't anticipate that. Right. He does all things decently and in order. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, which the scripture exhorts us to do, uh, we will operate uh, in a crisis-free mode. Uh, we will understand that God sometimes is going to allow. Bad stuff does happen to good people. And bad stuff is going to happen to Christians. But those are opportunities to exercise faith and not fear. Mm-hmm. There are opportunities to, to live for God as opposed to trying to solve it all yourself. Right. And getting scared and frustrated. Right, right. But it seems like there are certain people who don't know what to do when it's calm. Like they thrive on chaos and they thrive <laughs> yes. on the, the constant energy rush that they get from jumping from one thing to the next. Yeah, they're adrenaline junkies. So how do those kind of, those people just, like if you'd like it so much better, if you could just calm down, if you could just enjoy being <laughs> calm and quiet for a little bit. How do yeah. they how do they break that? It's almost it's almost an addiction to adrenaline. They have to be people who bring their lives under control rather than allowing life to control them. They need to control their lives. And part of that is going to come down to planning. It's going to come down to boundaries. Uh, everything is not an emergency. Everything does not require an instantaneous decision. There are some things that do. And I'm not denying that. There are some things that require you to make a quick decision when your toddler runs out into the street and a a semi is bearing down on them. You don't have time to go pray and think about it too much. You You better get out there. You have to act. And you better get out there and rescue that toddler. 
but but most things you know will allow you the time to think wisely and pray and i think that's an important thing is to think wisely and pray and ask is this something that i need to do is this something that somebody else should be doing right right not me a lot of times we take on things that are not ours to own i remember once being a pastor in california and they were short Sunday school teachers. And I remember one of the, the Sunday school superintendent going down the hall, grabbing adults and saying, uh, I need you to teach third and fourth graders today. I need you to teach uh, second graders today. Uh, I need you to teach uh, kindergartners today. That's, that's not how you go about getting uh, Sunday school teachers. You're operating out of a crisis. Right. Did you, they just have people that didn't show up or they weren't planning ahead? They, they have people that didn't show up or people that got sick yeah. or whatever. The, the class was not covered and he had all these little kiddos and he, he was just trying to fill a slot. Uh, these are people, they had no preparation, they had no training, they had no calling, wasn't their gift mix. Right. And they were just being thrust in because it was a crisis for this superintendent. And I think part of it, you, you touched on it, is we don't like to say no. We don't like to let people down. We don't, we want to go above and beyond, especially when it comes to church related things like, well, God would want me to, God would want me to take this on. Sure. I think some of it comes down to uh, pressure. Well, another thing to consider is if you rescue people that are right in the midst of crisis and you make a practice of wanting to rescue people mm -hmm. uh, because you're Florence Nightingale and you're right. going to rescue all the sick and all the hurting. They come to expect it. They will come to expect it. And then at that point, now you've created dependency. Right. And, and then you, you also now. get resentful because no one's really looking out for you and you're looking out for everybody else. Yeah. And all of that, sometimes people need to go through the consequences of their decisions. Right. Yeah, especially true with parents. Uh, with uh, parents of teenagers. Right. Uh, when teenagers make poor decisions, if you rescue them right. all the time from their poor decisions Excellent. and keep them from the crisis, you aren't helping them at all. You're not helping them grow and become mature No. and, and really learn the lessons that it teaches from having to suffer the consequences yes. of your decisions. Because when they leave your house, you're not doing them or society any favors when you turn them loose, having never said no, having always bailed them out. So you're really now, not doing them any favors. I had a relative who was a, a brilliant guy, but he was an alcoholic and he couldn't seemingly hold down a job. He would get a job at a prestigious company. His brilliance and his smarts would uh, cause him to be employed. Right. And then shortly, a few months into it, he would come in drunk or miss completely. He would go on a bender and miss yep. completely and get yep. fired. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he would land another job. Well, when he was broke, his mother took him in. His mother gave him money. His mother took him places when he lost his driver's license because he was DWI. Just enabled him. And she just enabled him. And that's right. part of what happens in a crisis is that people sometimes panic. And if they go through a crisis and everybody rescues them in that time of crisis, they never learn. Part of this is learning the lessons that God wants us to learn from that crisis. And I think one of those lessons, you know how, um, especially those of us who are ha have the love language of acts of service, very tenderhearted, very compassionate, want to help everybody. 
but yet it, it pulls you so thin that you're a, you're not there for your own family and B, you can't really take care of yourself because you're too busy taking care of other people. It is okay to say no at church. Yes. Did you hear me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you one hear of, that? One of the <laughs> things I, I have people pleasers. Yes. Who, who come as clients. Especially and, at church. <laughs> and, and one of the things I have them do is stand in front of the mirror and practice saying no in a variety of different ways. No. No, no. thank you. No. No, thank you. No, I'd really love to, but I can't. Thank and you. No for can't the offer. sound like a question. No. It's got to be no. <laughs> If I say yes to that, then I have to say no to something else. So I'm going to have to say no. And, and a lot of it is seeing yourself saying no and learning that that's a, a boundary that you should put in place to protect all the other things you've said yes to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you water yourself down too much, then you end up not doing anything very well. Yeah. Which yeah. I think leads us back to, you know, there's there's tools that you can take. Like I'm thinking shape. There's that shape um, book and workbook that helps you figure out what, what has God gifted you with? What skills has he gifted you with that you can then use to serve him in the church or in your community or in your family? Figure out what you're really good at. What are you passionate about? And then those are the areas where you should say yes. You should not say yes in the areas that are not your strengths. Like my strengths are not children. I tolerate my own but I really don't like other people's very much. I'm sorry to say it, but so I, they, I feel like every church I go to, they try to rope me into the children's ministry. And I'm like, that's not my passion. Like I'm happy to greet people at the door. I love to do that. I'm happy to help in your, your tech ministry, but I'm not a good kid person. And so I've had to learn to say, no, that's not my strength. Yeah. Well, and, and you get pressured. Yes. Uh, people pressure you to do what they want you to do. But if I say yes to your agenda, then I'm saying no to my agenda. It, not even not even just your agenda, but the agenda that God has placed on your heart. Yeah, you're right. Because it, it sounds it, selfish it, if you just say my agenda. But no, no, no. God has qualified you to do certain things. And those are your gifts that are specific to you. And they sure. might be great with kids, but that doesn't sure. make everybody great with kids. That's totally true. Well, I want to touch on a, a little bit on a book that I just finished reading. Sure. It's a little thin book by a pastor. His name is Robert Morgan, and it's called The Red Sea Rules. And The Red Sea Rules are all about handling a crisis. When Israel left Egypt during the Passover, and they marched out uh, through the wilderness and here you got two and a half million people being led by Moses. And here they are right with the Red Sea in front of them. And then the Egyptian armies behind them. And God appears, you know, by uh, a pillar of fire by night and, and a cloud by day. But, but they've got this crisis right in front of them. Yeah. Bloodthirsty Egyptians who oh, want yeah. to take them back into slavery because their economy's crashing. Uh -huh. And yet here's this huge Red Sea in front of them, and they think, man, we're going to die. Yep. We're going to die. We're between a rock and a hard place, and there is no place out. Well, I want to read you a little bit of what he says in this first part. He says, uh, the Red Sea may roll before us. The desert may entrap us. The enemy may press in on our heels. The past may seem implausible, the future impossible, but God works in ways we cannot see and he will make a way of escape for his weary waiting children. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. 
No sea is deeper than the ocean of his love. There is no army stronger than his hosts, no force greater than his throne of grace, no enemy who can overcome his direct and indirect work in our lives. The reality of the Red Sea in a word is this, God will always make a way for his tired, trusting children, even if he has to split the sea to do it. Wow. It's really good. That just seems so fitting for what we're dealing with these days with this huge Red Sea election coming up, where yeah. it really is freedom versus socialism yeah. and, and good versus evil and light versus darkness. And to yeah. hear that God rescues his people and he sees where we're going and he sees our plight and he will intercede on our behalf, especially when our hearts are humbled and turned back to him. And I like the title. It's the Red Sea. It's not the Blue Sea. It's the Red Sea. Right. That I want to see a Red Sea flood that comes across this land, but nonetheless, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the Red Sea rules. Here are the 10 rules, the 10 rules that he gives. Rule number one is realize that God means for you to be where you are. You're not there by a mistake. You're not there because of the will of the flesh. You're there because of the sovereign hand of God that has moved you there. I think about when, when you moved to Sioux Falls from Minneapolis. I mean, God brought you through a crisis and put you right where he wanted you. Right. Here's rule number two. Be more concerned for the glory of God than for your relief. A lot of people just want to get out of the, they want to get out of the pain. Just make it stop. I yeah, they, stop just, hurting. they just want to have some relief from things. And what he's saying in this book is, this is what Israel needed to learn. It's not just about getting away from the Egyptians. It's learning to trust God. Right, right. That God will open and make a way for you. Here's rule number three. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Mm. Uh, it's almost like, uh, like David and Goliath. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's got an armor bearer. Yeah, he's got a sword and a javelin and a spear, and he's got armor. I'm looking at the Lord. Right. And I've got five smooth stones in my quiver, in my bag, and I'm going to sling a stone, and it's up to the Lord to guide it where it hits him. I just love King David. He's so confident in his walk with God and his relationship with God that he had no doubt, no doubt that God was going to take down this giant. Yep. Yeah, in fact, while everybody in the army is running away from Goliath, yep. David's running toward him. Bring it on. Yeah, he's running right at him, this Little guy compared to Goliath, who's and, nine foot nine. And Goliath nine. is taunting him, and he's like, nobody, you need to be afraid, because I've got the God of heaven and earth on my side. You should be running from me. <laughs> well, <laughs> here's rule number four, and that is pray. Don't right. try and tackle the crisis all on your own. Yeah. Uh, don't try and, you're not that skilled, you're not that smart. Pray and ask the God of heaven, who is all-wise and all-knowing, to come to your rescue. Rule number five, almost halfway there. Stay calm and confident. Give God time to work. We are upset with God that he's not working on our timetable. We wanted him to fix it yesterday. Yes, we yes we do. You're in the not case of Israel, in the case of Israel, they wanted him to immediately rescue them. Uh, they didn't count on the parting of the Red Sea. What they would rather have had is the slaughter of the Egyptians out in the wilderness. Rule number six, when unsure, just take the next logical step by faith. Yep. In that sitting at the Red Sea is the priests with the Ark of the Lord decided to step by faith into the water, put one toe in, 
mm-hmm. and put their whole foot in. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the minute they stepped in by faith, boom, walls of water formed on either side. And there's a psalm that indicates they almost like turned to jello. They were like gelatinized on either side as walls of water. When, when the Egyptians came in with their chariots and their army, the jello melted <laughs> and they were swept away. They were drowned. Wow. So just take the next step of faith. You don't have to see the end. Right. All you need to see is enough for one more step. Yep. I've seen you do that many times. Yeah. Rule number seven, envision God's enveloping presence. God is with you through all of this. God has not brought you into this crisis Mm -hmm. and left you alone to face it. He's with you. Rule number eight, trust God to deliver in his own unique way. God may not do it the way you think. Right. God may choose to do it a different way, but God needs the room in your thinking to be able to do it his way, not yours. Right, right. Last two, rule number nine, view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. Right. Because if you go through a Red Sea experience, Mm -hmm. if you go through a crisis and you come out successfully on the other side, what does that do for your faith? Right. Boy, it supercharges it. Yeah, absolutely. It supercharges it. You, you, You come away thinking to yourself, wow. I've got a big God. Look what he did for me. And if he can do it for me, then he can do it for me in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing that charges your faith and fires you up than, than going through a difficult time and seeing how faithful he was. And maybe you can't see it in the moment, but as you look back, like I look back at my, my Sioux Falls experience, moving from Minneapolis to Sioux Falls and all the things that God put in, put in place for us to, to make that happen. It's incredible. And you can't really see it when it's happening, but you look back and go, wow, it's incredible. The last rule is don't forget to praise him. Yes. That's one of the things they did when they got to the other side, uh, they praised the Lord, you know, miracles that the Lord does in our lives. uh, You know, we we can enshrine them with little monuments, Uh ways of remembering what the Lord did so that in times of crisis, when we're tempted to, to not believe, you can look back and say, wow, he did great things back then, and I, I'm going to praise him. Right, and the Israelites were very intentional about building monuments and um, talking to their children deliberately about all the ways that God had been faithful to them. Every time they recognized the Passover Seder, it was describing all the plagues that God brought on Egypt to deliver them, and they remember it every year, yep. every single year, even down to this day. And you do the Passover Seder frequently at different churches ask you to do that. Do you go through like each of the different plagues in the Seder dinner? You take a drop of, uh, of wine and you flick it with your finger onto the plate and you announce locusts, flies, boils. Oh, wow. So one, one flick of wine for each plague as you're announcing them. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, it's, it's something else. It's something else. It's a very formal, very structured yes. approach in the Seder. In fact, Seder means order. Wow. So it's very orderly. You know, I've never participated in one of your Seders and I would love to. Well, and maybe to, the day will come. Yes. And to bring this full circle, you know how we were talking about earlier about it's okay to say no, especially when you are stressed out and you've got so much going on in your life. It's okay to say no, especially at church. So I don't think I ever told you this story, but I had someone approach me back when I used to go to um, a church out in Rogers and they knew you and they knew you did satyrs. They didn't really ask me, 
it was a, it was a woman who I knew from, um, like Bible study. She pulled me aside and she said, so we're thinking that you could do a Seder here at our church, kind of like your dad does. <laughs> and I think you were at, um, new hope church at that time. I said, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah I could, but I'm not going to, but that's where I'm saying like you, and that's your gift. You're passionate about that. That's what you're good at. That's not my strength. So you sure. really have to, in order to avoid the whack-a-mole living is you have to know what your strengths are and you have to be willing to say no to the things that you're really not that good at. Let somebody else take it on. Yeah, if you say yes to everything, then you're saying no to a lot of the important God-called stuff God has called you to do and only you. And you're having to say no to that. Absolutely. If you say yes, then you're depriving somebody else of that opportunity. I think that's great. I just came <laughs> up with that right now. That's the next time somebody asks me to do something that I know I'm not, it's not my strength. I'm going to say, you know what? I would say yes, but I'm going to have to say no because I'm depriving somebody else of this, this God-given opportunity. Bingo. Bing. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, that's good. Just, just pulled out the silver lining right there. Yeah. We yep, watched it good. happen. All right. We're having too much fun. Next time we are going to be talking about Christians in politics part two. And, and specifically, you're going to talk about why you're voting for President Trump in 2020. So, and we are just so grateful that you chose to tune in today for Hope for the Hurting. New episodes are uploaded every single Sunday morning. You can find our podcasts on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Current and past episodes can also be located at hopewellcouncil.com. If you have comments or a question that you'd like Dr. Earp to address on a future show, please send us an email. Send it to hopewellcouncil at gmail.com. And until next time, I'd like to leave you with this. Peace. It does not mean to be in a place where there is not noise, trouble, or stress-filled times. It means to be in the midst of those things and allow Jesus to calm your heart. Mm -hmm.